Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. But let me, let's jump into this morning's talk. You ready to open the scriptures? Yeah, I love that. So, one of my favorite city trips, I love taking city trips, uh, visiting cities like New York or Seattle or Vancouver, things like that. But one of my favorite trips was actually to the city of Philadelphia. And um, like when I was in my early 20s, two cousins of mine and my brother and I, we decided to head to Philly because uh, we got tickets for a Flyers game and they were playing the, 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 uh, the devil. So it was a real rivalry in the, in the stadium that night. And I've never been to a hockey game in the States and in that kind of rivalry. It it was really, it was crazy, actually. It was, I, I got to say, it was like actually more engaged than here at the Bell Center. And uh, that was the first time I went to Philly. Now, being there for the game, I found steak and cheese sandwiches, which was awesome. Um, we ran up the steps. If you know Rocky Balboa's movies, we ran up the steps and, you know, saw the Rocky Balboa statue and stuff like that. And a couple of years ago, I had the chance to go back to a conference there with people invested uh, in city mission and then I stayed, where I stayed, I had to take public transport, so I used the trolley system and walked the city and went to its famous marketplace, and I just fell in love with this place. Such a beautiful, beautiful place. And Jesus, in the first century, writes to a church in Philadelphia, not in the U.S. Um, it didn't exist back then. But he writes to a church with the name Philadelphia, by the way, which means city of brotherly love. And again, it's not in the U.S. I doubt they had a steak and cheese sandwich stand uh, out at the time. But it had the same name. And we're going to read Jesus' words to this first century Philadelphia. It's found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 14, or 7 to 13. And here's, here's Jesus' words to the church in Philly. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and, and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power, and yet, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And if you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God, as we just jump into this part of Scripture, this message from Jesus to this ancient church may feel fresh to us today in ways beyond that I can even describe. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, 
How many of you guys are familiar with that movie Frozen? It was very popular, right, like back several years ago. Well, one of the, the, the second most popular song was called Love is an Open Door. And it was between these, this guy and his girl. And uh, one of the lines says, all my life has been a series of doors in my face. And then suddenly I bumped into you. That was kind of part of the lines this morning in one of the worship songs, actually. But, but um, yeah, that's part of the lyrics. All my life has been a series of doors in my face. Have you felt like that ever? That like there's been seasons of your life where there's just been doors shut or you hit a door or you hit an obstacle. And the theme of this song is that love is an open door. I love that phrase. Jesus uses the same words. He tells this church in Philadelphia, the first century, he says, I have set before you an open door. It seems like he writes this with delight and with excitement and with joy, this, this generous kind of offer for them. He, he sounds like a genuine evangelist. And when I use the word evangelist, this, the word obviously has a biblical connection because of evangelism and the evangel, the gospel. People these days are using it even in the corporate world, you know, like we, you know, if you like a label of someone that works for Apple is like an Apple evangelist. What are they doing? They're trying to, they believe that what they're giving you is good. But here's a genuine evangelistic offer. Someone who has something great to offer you. These are the words of Jesus. I'm not sure if you've ever been in one of those moments where there's been like great opportunity before you. It just comes out there. It's like an opportunity for a job or a next step or maybe an opportunity in meeting someone, an opportunity personally or with your family, an opportunity financially. And it's like right there. It's like this open door before you and you have to decide, am I going to walk through it? Am I going to walk through that door? This church is still struggling like the other churches, Although Jesus doesn't correct them like the other churches. He says to them, you've kept my word with patient endurance. You've not denied my name. So, so they've been resilient. But he says, he says, I have this open door for you. I've got something for you. I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. I want you to participate into it. I want you to, to enter into it. And it's wonderful. And it's these two big ideas I'll call promise and purpose. We can use these words for a lot of reasons. I want to use them for this this morning. And the first thing is, is this open door to promise, this invitation that Jesus has into the life of God's kingdom. It's not just an open door, like an opportunity for something financial or, you know, this is going to make your life better in terms of a practical way. This is an invitation into the life of God's kingdom. And there's three phrases that Jesus uses and gives to this church to help them understand what that means. The first one, he says, if you conquer or are faithful or continue moving forward, he says, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. Now, that idea of the temple of God and, and, and being participants in it is a promise that's tied to something that already existed for Christians. Because as Jesus came, he fulfilled, he fulfilled the purpose of the temple. The temple as a place, as a space where symbolically, oh, this is where God's presence dwelt. Jesus fulfilled that and then sent the Holy Spirit. And, and all everyone who comes to Christ and follows Jesus is now a temple of the Holy Spirit along with the church. The temple is no longer needed. It's no longer a building. It's a people. Now, just put yourself in these, in these Christians' uh, situation in Philadelphia. They're, they're estranged from the local temples. They don't, they don't go there. And so they're disconnected from their part of their culture. They're persecuted by the large Jewish community in their area, probably by the thousands 
And as we looked at it a couple of weeks ago at the Church of Smyrna, the Jewish community had some accommodation with the Roman Empire. The Christians didn't. They maybe numbered the tens or twelves or dozens in that city. And they lived in a region where pillars often collapsed because they lived near a volcanic mountain and there was earthquakes. And so sometimes the large structures would crumble. So here's these Christians in a city like this. And Jesus says to them, now he says, I'm welcoming you as a pillar in God's temple. A temple that's not made of rubble, that's not made of stone, that's not made of brick and mortar. It's God's temple. And you're a part of it. God wants to dwell in you. And I'm making you a pillar in God's family. And here's the the other thing he writes to them. He says to them in verse 12 as well. He says, I'm going to write on you the name of my God. The name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. I'm going to write on you my own new name. That's like a triple honor. The name of God. The name of the city and my own new name. This, this promise is not tied to something that already happened. This promise is tied to something that's going to happen, that's going to come, that's the future new creation. And the book of Revelation actually ends with the new city of Jerusalem coming down. It's like the headquarters of God's kingdom is going to be what rules and reigns over the new heaven and the new earth. And one, at one point, we'll get to that chapter But it's this future promise where heaven and earth actually join together. If you've been part of our church community, we've often tried to explain heaven and earth. Heaven is not a place you go to. Heaven is God's space, God's realm, God's where God dwells. And when Jesus ascended after the resurrection, he didn't like like take a ship somewhere into space. He ascended into God's space. They no longer saw him because God's uh, realm and our realm exists at the same time. And so when Jesus came to earth and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and Jesus' kingdom breaks through, it's like these two circles just slightly overlapping. And right in that overlap, we see kingdom activity. Sometimes someone gets healed or we see reconciliation grow and take place. We see God's spirit move. We see peace happen where we think it should. How could that happen? And that's, that's heaven and earth just overlapping People responding to that. But the scriptures tell us one day heaven and earth will fully join together when the new city comes down. The promise to this church is you're going to be part of this new city. You will be citizens of this new city. You will be participants in this new creation that God has in store. Now imagine again for them who lived in a city with earthquakes. 50 years before Jesus, they, they read these words from Jesus by John, their city was hit with a big earthquake and it tumbled a lot of the big buildings and it was so bad that, that Rome actually comes in uh, to fix things up. They lived near this mountain, this volcano, where quakes and movements and drills happened. They never, so imagine living there. As much as the big one happened 50 years ago, there was a lot of little ones that took place. So they probably we're nervous. They probably had, you know, like when you have, like everything's okay, but there's just something underneath. You're just like, there's something inside you. Like you're, you're always waiting maybe for something bad might happen. That's what it probably felt like to live in Philadelphia. Like when's the big one going to come? When's the next one going to come? Man, that, you know, they didn't have the, you know, the scale like we do. Like it was a 4.3 or a seven, like, but they felt it. I think of some of the people in Ukraine right now living in some of the cities where it's like they know a tank is coming. 
They know a missile could be coming. They know troops might be coming. There is always this sense of what might happen next. And here's Jesus' words to them. I'm writing the name of my new city on you. This is secure. This is going to be a place where you will not have to hide. You will not have to run. You will not have to escape. And Jesus offers this open door and he says, I hold the keys. Whatever I open, no one will shut. And whatever I shut, no one will open. It's interesting because 50 years prior when the earthquake happened uh, and Rome came in and the emperor funded some buildings and stuff that were probably government buildings, they called this, they had like a, a sub name for the city and they called it the New Caesarea, which meant the new city of Caesar. So this city had a sub name of Caesar, the emperor. But it's amazing as Jesus talks to them, he's like, I'm going to write my name on you and I'm going to write the name of the city on you and the name is the New Jerusalem the headquarters of God's kingdom activity where God's going to rebuild new creation. This is part of the promise. Here's the the last kind of line that helps us see this big promise, this open door to them. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that where there was a promise that if they conquer, if they're faithful to the end, they're going to receive the crown of life. That crown is not a crown you put on your head or jewelry or some kind of like achievement. That, that crown is actually life. Like you're going to receive fullness of God's life into eternity. Jesus, the first time we read Jesus' actual, actually him saying, I am coming in Revelation here in chapter three, and then hold fast to what you have. What, you have, what they have in him, so that no one may seize your crown, so that no one may rob you of the life that is available to you that you already have in Jesus. And this is the ultimate promise. Now combine these three images. Combine the image of a pillar. I will make you a pillar. Combine the image of the name. I will write this new name on you and the new name of the city on you. And then combine the image of a crown. Let no one take this crown from you, this life. And what you have is you have the fullness of life of God's kingdom available to these people because they're following Jesus. And despite the the, the political persecution from the Roman Empire, despite some of the religious persecution from that Jewish community at the time, they have this life. And I just think of the, the words from that song from Frozen. All your life has been a series of doors in your face. But I have set this open door before you. I have set this open door before you. I have set this door of life before you. The fullness of life that no one can offer you, that no one can steal from you. It's yours. It's available. You're welcome to it. Church of Philadelphia, this life is yours. Here's the promise. And I've set this open door before you, this open opportunity that's found in Jesus. Find it, receive it, live it. Look forward to its fullness. There's nothing in comparison around you and in the world. That's part of the promise. That's, the, that's, one, of the, that's one of the offers of this open door. That's Jesus saying, I've set this before you. This is for you. Take hold of it. And some of you here who are, today, who are here today, or maybe you've been you know, visiting our church or maybe someone invited you, you're watching online and you're like, I long for life like that. And that's Jesus actually inviting you, saying, I've, I've set an open door before you. I've made it possible. 
You too can be a pillar in my temple. You too can experience this life. You too can be part of this city. This too can be your future. That's the invitation of the gospel to us, to all of us. But there's more opportunity. There's another piece to this open door. And, and it's not just a promise. It's actually there's a purpose involved for you and for me, especially those who are following Christ. It's this invitation not only into the life of God's kingdom, but into the mission of God's kingdom. It's an open door inviting us into the mission of God's kingdom. Now, Jesus is a genius. He's brilliant. You've often heard me quote Dallas Willard say that Jesus is the smartest person in the universe. And so think about this for a second. This church, Philadelphia, I keep wanting to call it Philly, but I really shouldn't because it's not the American city. But it's strategically set up. It's strategically set up to spread God's kingdom. To spread the message of the gospel, to spread the message of God's love and invitation and the call into, into following Jesus as Lord. Philadelphia was the only city of the seven churches that was alongside an ancient highway. It was the only city that, that was placed along an ancient highway that ran from Europe, or what we know as Europe now, to the east. And it was so strategic that in 140 BC, 200 years before Jesus was around or on earth and Christians even existed 200 years before, in 140 BC, they set up this city to be a base to Hellenize the world. You're like, Hellenize? What the heck word is that? Is that hell or no? Hellenic, you know, like a Greek culture, right? Hellenic culture. So don't worry, it wasn't a bad spreading of anything, it was a good spread. And so they wanted to Hellenize the world. They want the, the, the Hellenic culture, Greek culture to spread. And they saw Philadelphia as such a strategic place. We're going to put the base of our Greek culture here so we can spread it around the regions. So just, just think about this for a second. 200 years before even the seed of God's kingdom breaking into our world even set foot Anywhere, or especially in Philadelphia, this city's purpose already was to be a base of sending out. A base that would send people out and send culture out. Jesus is a genius. The Holy Spirit is strategic. And this phrase, open door, is not uncommon to the New Testament. We read it in the book of Acts. We read it in some of Paul's letters. Here's two, two phrases uh, that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus. Why? For a wide door for effective work is opened to me. In other words, he's seen something's happening in Ephesus. Something's taking place. I'm going to stay here. There's an open door for the gospel message of Jesus Christ to, to be present in this city. He writes later to the Corinthians in the second letter. He says, I came to Troas, another place. Why? To proclaim the good news of Christ. Because a door was opened for me in the Lord. Paul would like to use this language, this open door language. There's an open door before us. There's open opportunities. There's, there's an open path that we can bring the gospel of God's kingdom to our city, to this place, to that region, to where God is sending us. And look at this open door that Jesus set up for them in Philadelphia. God will use this small, little group of Christians, maybe numbering the dozens, to influence the surrounding regions. Imagine what they would have felt like. And historically, this became one of the centers for growth of early Christianity. Philadelphia, this city, became one of the centers for growth of early Christianity. So as we kind of bring the promise and the purpose together, I wrote this on the screen for us just to, just to keep it with us. 
And it's this. One, you and I have an open door to the life of God's kingdom. You and I, yeah, him too. You and I have the life, an open door to the life of God's kingdom. And you and I have an open door to share, to share the life of God's kingdom to the world around us. We have an open door to that life, and we have an open door to share. We, it's, it's part of an invitation to God's kingdom, and it's an invitation to share God's kingdom. But, and, and as beautiful as it is, and, and I want to invite us this, as we come towards a close just in a little bit, but I want to just, just be realistic here. Because you know this in your own life, and I know this in my life, that promises and purposes, promise and purpose are not always void of problems, Right? If you have an opportunity or you have a promise or there's a purpose, you know that it's not void of problems. It doesn't just come easy peasy. It's not always just a clear road and, you know, perfect scenario and we have all the resources or no one's going to stand in our way or there's going to be no obstacles. No, problems come. Opportunity rarely comes without obstacles. And I bet you can think of, if we had time to open share time, there's probably like an opportunities you've had in your life, uh, moments where you look back and you say, oh man, this open door of opportunity came, but so did these obstacles. And I, they were just real. This relationship was the, one of the most important relationships that opened up for me, but there were some obstacles in getting there. This marriage I knew is going to be, it's going to be great, it's going to be good, it's important, but there's also some obstacles to get through so we can see this marriage grow and, become, and flourish and become better. Opportunity rarely comes without obstacles. And Jesus is straight with this church. He tells them in verse 10, he says, look, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. This is slightly a, a tie-in to um, John seeing the judgment of God come on the earth at some point we read in Revelation later on in the other chapters. But don't be confused. The word, I will keep you from the hour of trial, is not Jesus saying, you're going to have no problems. It's, it's not, I'm going to spare you from them. It's more like, I'm going to get you through them. This hour of trial will come. This, this testing on the world will come. And you're part of the world. You're going to be present. You're present when these things happen. They were already struggling. I will keep you from this hour of trial. I will get you through this. And see, sometimes for us, here we are. We're sitting in Canada. And a few, actually a few of us guys from Westside were praying in the prayer room on Thursday night. And we just recognized, like, we just walked into this building we walked into this room that was beautifully curated for prayer. And we were praying together freely. And no one bothered us. No one said a word. No one stopped us. And it was really revealing to think of how many places in the world where that's not always possible. Where we sit from in Canada, sometimes it's too easy to preach a gospel that will say, God will spare you from all harm. Just believe in him and it, you'll never be touched. You'll never have harm. You'll never have obstacles. You'll never have problems. You'll, you'll always have, you know, resources and this and that. When our brothers and sisters around the globe face harm daily. Now we see God's miraculous work. We see actually Christ followers going into these places as part of God's provision. But it's not void of problems. And, and I don't know why we get this idea 
that will never have harm. Jesus specifically said in John 16, verse 33, he said, you will face trials and tribulations. That, was, that should have been a done deal. That would have been like, okay, let, let, let me at least expect this. But he did say, he did say, I have overcome the world. He, he didn't say you won't face trials and tribulations. He says you will face them, but I have overcome the world. There's a promise even in the middle of that. There's peace in the middle of that that we will get through. So the opportunity, the open door doesn't come without obstacles. But here, here's this next one that's really important for us to understand how this church felt. And how sometimes you and I might even feel, depending on the circumstance. Jesus says this phrase to them. I know that you have little power. They didn't have the political power and religious power and cultural power and social power, financial power that some others had. Jesus says, I know that you have little power. Now, despite that little power, they were resilient. But Jesus still says, I know you have little power where you are. The kind of power that the world often leans to and uses to, to succeed. That's a really important description of this church. They have little power. They don't have much culturally, socially, politically, financially. They're persecuted from, politically from Rome. They're religiously persecuted often from this local synagogue in the picture. They had no accommodation for themselves. The only thing they had to hold on to is, think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, when he says, go into the world, and he ends it off by saying, I will be with you always. That's what they had to hold on to. I will be with you always. Or when Paul says in Romans 1, he says, the gospel is the power of God for those who believe. We, sometimes we sit in a position here in the West, and we might look for, oh, how, might, how can we use political power for the church to get ahead? Or how can we get social accommodation for the church to be spared? Or how, no, the gospel is the power of God for those who believe. It's never been cultural power or social power or financial power or how much political friends you have that moves God's kingdom forward. Jesus always said, I will build my church, and I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit into it so you can be my witnesses. I just want to say this. This is important, and I put this on the screen for us too. The existence of the church, the existence of Westside, the existence of any church on the planet, the existence of the church historically has always been charismatic. What I mean by that is not that it's a charismatic church like maybe some of the ways that we describe charismatic churches, although, although we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, but... What I mean by that is the existence of the church has always been possible because of the gift of God's grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why the church exists. That's how we exist. We're, we exist because of the gift of God's grace seen in the cross. We exist because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that birthed the church and empowers the church. We don't exist because of power of our own or cultural and political weight we the church exists because of a gift of God's grace and a gift of the Holy Spirit the gift the church is always charismatic that word charis means gift so despite their little power they have this open door of opportunity to be God's living and local presence in their world in their regions in their towns in the most strategic spot of the seven churches I love that Despite their little power, Jesus puts them right there, most specific strategic spot of these seven churches. There's a, a sociologist, his name is Robert Bella, and um, 
he's, I love this phrase. He writes this. He says, the quality of a culture can change when 2% of its people have a vision. The quality of a culture can change when 2% of its people have a vision. This church had little power. This church was small in comparison to the other cultural groups in the city and in the empire. But isn't this true? I know it's a sociological line, but isn't this true? That's how God wants to use the church. It's an open door for us. Now, here's a temptation for you and me. When we're in maybe the place of the world we live in, maybe when, you know, we're grateful to have a space like we have, when we're grateful to, uh, you know, steward our finances and, and also put wisdom to our finances and things like that, here's a temptation for you and me and for the church and for us. It's, it's often to play it safe, to play it safe and not risk. See, too often opportunity is lost because of fear. Often there's opportunity to come to know Jesus. There's opportunity to grow in faith. There's opportunity to allow Jesus to lead your life. Who, who Realistically, who shouldn't want Jesus to lead their lives? Who shouldn't want the king of the universe to lead their lives? We should all want that. But we are fearful at times. And we want to play it safe and say, well, wait a second. Like, I made this, so I'm going to keep it. And this was my income, so I want to keep it. And this is my life that I've created, so I want to keep it. And we played safe. And churches do that too, and we can fall into that trap too. Often we can fear to follow Jesus fully. We can fear to go on mission with Jesus fully. We can fear to give our resources even in a struggling season like this where we see inflation prices going up. We can fear to be honest with our failures with others because we're like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid to expose my failures. We don't recognize the freedom and joy and forgiveness that comes in that. And we huddle instead of risk. And we hide instead of move. And sometimes we've just created a good, a good kind of life, a good church, and then we, we're afraid to risk. And I know, I know that my nature can sometimes lean towards that personally in my life. And I want to ask the Lord to, to break that in me. So he can lead fully. I read this from Max Lucado. He's an author. Some of you guys know him from children's books or other books. But he, he writes this. He said, I learned a hard lesson this week. And um, it's a fishing analogy. He says, it's not about fishing. It's about people. And then he says these words. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result? Church scrooges. Bah humbug spirituality. Beady eyes searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose on your own nose. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars. And sadly, the poor go unfed, the confused go uncounseled, and the lost go unpreached. And when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. 
And the next time the challenges outside tempt you to shut the door and stay inside, stay long enough to get warm, but then go out. Because when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. We, we lose perspective, right? We lose perspective. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we want to respond today for a few more moments. So how, what do we, how, how do we appropriate this? How do we make space in our lives for the work of Christ and what we're learning today? So I'm going to ask you to do two things. And really simple, really simple practice. I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to ask three people to partner with you. And then I'm going to invite you to pray for three people. So the first question is I want to ask you to ask a few people. Go back to the one. Yeah, this is it. Pray. Okay, first. No, back up. So first, ask three people. And commit together in this little huddle of three people, whether you do it by text or, or uh, I don't know, Instagram group or Facebook video or in person, take a walk, whatever. This, it's not about the event. It's about commitment. Ask three people to come together and say, let's remind each other of the life we have in Jesus. Three, or let's say two other Christ followers in your life and yourself, and you say, can we commit in this season to remind each other as often as we can of the life we have in Jesus? Jesus says, I I put before you an open door. You're, You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. New creation is for you. You're a citizen of the new city. You have a crown of life waiting for you as you push forward and be faithful. You know what we, most of us need? Most of us don't need a new discovery. Most of us just need to be reminded of the life we already have in Jesus. And what if you just did that? Just called out to two other people, so three of you together, and the number is not so important. It's just the act that, like, I'm going to covenant with these people. And we're going to remind each other of the life we have in Jesus. That's one practice. But if we only do that practice, we might fight instead of fish, right? Like Max Lucado says. So here's the second practice. Choose three people that you're going to pray for, minimum three, that need to hear about the life available in Jesus. Most of us here today, and, and I know that there's some who are searching and growing and want to make a next step and we want to help you do that, but I know a bunch of people here today you know how the beauty and purpose and peace and life that is found in the life of God's kingdom. So my question is, my invitation to you, to me too, let's pray for at least three people in this next season and maybe make it an ongoing practice that we have a constant prayer for people that need to hear the life about the life of Jesus. Of course, we know that if we're really praying, like, we'll probably have opportunity for that. There's people all around that, you, you know, we're blind to. I just met someone new in my neighborhood. The oddest reason, my dog lost her tag like eight months ago. Eight months ago, this little tag that says jazz on it with my phone number in the back. And my kids came back from a walk and like, oh, the tag is gone. We're like, oh, well, let's, whatever, we'll register her soon, you know. We didn't. She's been walking around with no tag. So if she gets lost, it's over. But I, I get this. I, but we found it. Boy, I'm so negligent. Anyways, um, I get this text, you know. Hey, uh, I found this dog tag near the mailbox. 
my name's so-and-so. I'll respect your name because this is on live stream. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, cool. I said, well, I live here. Why don't you like, you want, he's like, I'm taking my dog for a walk. I can drop it by. I'm like, yeah, great. So I met this person I never met. They moved into the neighborhood during COVID. Obviously, I've never seen them. And it was like, that was just a reminder for me. There's people that are in my radar that I'm blind to. That I, sh- I need to be identifying and praying that God would make space so there'll be an opportunity to share the life of God's kingdom that I've already experienced and still growing into others. So I want to encourage you to do that. Because we have this promise and we have this purpose. Jesus says, I set before you an open door. The first is a promise for life of God's kingdom that is available to you. And the second is our purpose. The life of God's kingdom that is meant to be shared by you and me. So let's come fully to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you and with you. And we're going to respond with this song that welcomes us with open arms to come to the presence of Christ. And if you're here today and and, um, you just, you've been wanting to take a step into following Christ or into what it means to be a Christian, ultimately what it means to be in relationship with God through Christ, the invitation is there. It's an open door. And I invite you to take that step. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to walk through this open door, this invitation. I long to experience the kind of life that you're offering. And I recognize that that life comes in its fullness when I allow you to lead my life and be Lord of my life. And recognize you as both King and Savior. So I invite you to step into that. Make that intentional decision forward right now in this moment. Our Heavenly Father, we can't even fathom um, the depth of what it means to be a pillar in your temple, to be, have, have your name written on us. Who are we? And yet, that's your offer. It's so beautiful. It's so grand. It's so majestic. It is so wonderful. It's beyond comprehension. It's beyond fair. But yet, Jesus stands and offers us an open door. And we say thank you. We recognize that even in the middle of our sin and brokenness and rebellion, you sent Jesus to reconcile us to you and to reconcile us to this life that is offered on the table by you. And we recognize that sin and rebellion and we're, we repent of it and we welcome your invitation and say yes. May each of us here, even if we've been following Christ for a while, be reminded of this life. And God, take the blinders off our eyes. Help us to see people around us. They might not always tell us, but they desperately long for true life. Lord, right now, right around this room, Lord, would you just be putting names and faces in our minds that we will write down and commit to praying for? 
in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we come to you. We receive your life. Amen. Let's sing this together. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.